Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday, 1st of April 2018. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll also find a number of previously broadcast episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. It's now 11.30am, so if you have not already, or 11.33 to be exact, uh, so if you've not already done so, please wind your clocks back one hour as we exited daylight savings time as of 3am this morning. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook and today's weather we've got a top of 26 degrees. We've been very much spoiled over the Easter break, the Easter long weekend with some glorious weather. Yesterday gorgeous as well. Uh, What we've got is some southerly, uh, light southerly winds uh, that are just starting to come up a little bit in the evening so as always uh, be careful if you're out and about on our beautiful waterways in the state of Victoria. Today I'm joined in the studio by by Caroline Esbenshade of Marine Care Point Cook. Caroline, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. That's the way. Happy Easter to you. Thank you, you too. And to all our listeners, of course. Today we've got a little bit on the agenda. We'll be discussing a range of topics that relate to our beautiful marine environments. Quite a bit going on. But one thing I really wanted to concentrate on is the upcoming sea slug census, which I'll be going into a fair bit of detail about and talking to Caroline about her experiences with some of the glorious nudibranchs, these amazing sea slugs that we see under the surface of the water. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be back after this short announcement. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. 
You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. Okay, as I mentioned before we went to that quick break, um, we've got the Sea Slug Census that's coming up. Uh, in It's on Saturday the 21st and Sunday 22nd of April 2018. It is the first Melbourne Sea Slug Census. And I'm just going to read off a flyer um, that I've uh, brought into the studio today. Um, using your underwater camera, collect images of sea slugs anywhere in Port Port Phillip Bay, Western Port Bay and surrounds. If you're out and about in the area, we want to know what you find. It's up to you uh, how you find them, uh, that is using, for example, scuba and snorkeling um, and also rock pools. We shouldn't forget that if you're, if you're keen to uh, get your feet wet, but that's about all, um, you're, you're welcome to do that as well. But always remember to follow safe diving, snorkeling and rock pooling practices. Bring your buddy or team to the free barbecue hosted by the VNPA, that's the Victoria National National Parks Association, starting at 2pm at Blair Gowrie Yacht Squadron on Sunday 22nd of April to share sea slug stories. So here are some of the census selections that they've, uh, the VNPA has put into the flyer. Uh, photos for the census are to be taken within Port Phillip Bay, Western Port Bay and surrounds, and they've been very definite on the time frame here, between one minute past midnight on Saturday 21st of April 2018 to one minute before midnight on Sunday 22nd of April 2018. So literally just the Saturday and just the Sunday and that's it. Send in one photo for each species of sea slug you encounter on Census Weekend. You don't need to identify the sea slugs, although please do if you can. Just take their photos. Uh, Photos from you, your buddy pair or your team should be cropped around the slug shrunk to around 640 by 480 pixels and submitted by email or Dropbox to Melbourne Sea Slug, Melbourne sea slug Census at gmail.com. Uh, try saying that three times fast. I'll give you that one again. Melbourne sea slug Census at gmail.com by Sunday, the 29th of April 2018. Emails should include the names of everyone involved in capturing the image and details of the location where photos were taken. If you collect images at more than one one site, please indicate which photos were taken at which site. There will be prizes up for grabs for the best photo, most species found, most unusual species and more. So that's uh, a very interesting event that's going to be coming up in the uh, in the near future. Um, Caroline, what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a great event and we're kind of tapping into a creature that usually gets overlooked by other kind of, I'm going to say surveys that we do in the water there's a lot about the seagrass and of course there's the fish count but i don't think before there's ever been a sea slug census no that's correct it's the first melbourne sea slug census so it will be quite interesting uh sort of follows on um cade mills has been doing some great work with the victorian national parks association um in 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 association i guess with reef watch um so he's been one of the guys one of the key drivers of the um of the great victorian fish count and this is a sort of a similar thing i guess we're looking for a, a key invertebrate group here and we're trying to collect data on it that's basically uh basically what it all comes down to yes and from what i understand like the different species can be very niche in what environment and food they live in or you know what they'll eat so having a you know variety of different sea slugs come up in the census shows that there's not just a biodiverse 
you know, range in the sea slugs, but it's also saying there's that range of algae that they're eating off of. There's a range of locations that they're living in. Like it just suggests a great level of biodiversity if we get a lot of responses that are very varied back. Very true. Very good point. And it's one of those things with sea slugs, as Caroline's alluding to, um, some of the disguises that these sea slugs will put on have to be absolutely seen to be believed. I mean, they they not only have adopt the same colour schemes, but in some instances, they adopt the same morphology. In other words, the physical appearance of some of the algae and some of the sponges that they might inhabit and live on. Um, they're quite incredible. They're masters of disguise. And that's where the difficulty with the sea slug census, if you like, I mean, if you're seeing a one foot long black brim and a one foot long mullet like I saw at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary just yesterday, in fact, um, they're easy to see. They're big, obvious, um, you know, uh, that, that macro fauna, those, those large items that you can see. When you're looking for sea slugs that might be 15 millimetres long that are uh, camouflaged beautifully with their surrounding environments, they are very, very, very difficult to see. And one of the key experts on, uh, on nudibranchs and related mollusks is uh, Robert Byrne. And he was sort of heard to lament, I believe, in the lead up to the sea slug census that, oh, well, that's only gonna, they're only going to spot the big ones, the big obvious ones. And in many cases, he's right, I guess. Uh, you know, I've, I've got some marine biological training behind me, but I'm not expecting to see a whole number of them um, generally because I, I don't all that often it's got to be said unless you really look for them you'll, uh, you'll you'll never see them I think it's one of those things that once you like if you tell yourself okay this is what I'm looking for and once you've seen one it's so much easier to pick them out it's kind of like the first time you see a pipe fish then you can tell the difference between the pipe fish and the grass and then you see them all the time but before somebody kind of like points it out to you when you're actually in the water not just looking at a still photograph you're kind of like how would you ever see that yeah you know but after you do and you see like oh well that's his little eye and they kind of wiggle a little bit differently than the grass then you see them everywhere i think it's much the same thing with the sea slugs very much so it's what you could call a search image i suppose and people use that search image word to describe for example predators if a if a shark sees a silhouette of a seal at the surface there's a classic search image um if you're looking for a nudibranch again there's a search image the one that really sort of surprises me i'm surprised how good you get at it after a while is uh stingarees hidden below the surface you're, you're looking for eyes and spiracles and a little bit of a disc shape when it might be buried beneath the surface but you get pretty damn good at being able to see these things so that's uh, that's very very true i i sort of feel with the sea slug senses i'd love a little training program of some sort just to you need that almost like a calibration uh to to allow you to look for these things well yeah and i remember after having the conversation with kate about how you know robert Byrne felt that we weren't going to see any of the little guys because you know all the attention's only ever to the big ones after we had that conversation we got in the water Water and because I was like, well, maybe I could see one of these. Maybe, maybe I'm not trying hard enough. And then we found those tiny little pink ones that were smaller than my pinky fingernail, wow. all hanging out in that little cluster. I mean, some of them were smaller. Uh, how would I even describe how small they were? I, like a grain of rice, a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. Like, so we're like looking six rice. or seven millimeters, yeah. probably. Yeah, f- yeah. That's a good. Yeah, that's exactly what they sort of look like. Rice. Little fat pink rice. <laughs> they are they are gorgeous animals. They're cute as hell too, nudie ranks. They're one of those things. I mean, you look at slugs sometimes and you think, oh well, they might have those cute eye stalks and stuff, but they're ugh, a bit of a, a yucky looking creature. Sea slugs are gorgeous in their natural environment. That pink color stays with me to that day. It was the most gorgeous pink you've ever seen. Yes, and like you were saying, the camouflage 
camouflage. It's the exact same color as that pink sponge that we see so much in Point Cook as well. So obviously that's part of their camouflage is to look like that sponge, which is exactly like that time that you were pointing out the massive sea slug to me. And I was kind of like, yeah, I see the sponge. Awesome. And then you made me dive down and I took the duck dive down and I realized what I thought was just kind of like some sponge or coral was actually like a Sharon size sea slug. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Just refresh my memory. Where was that one? Oh, that was at Clifton... Oh, Clifton Springs. Springs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm trying to think if that was... Was that an elephant snail? It was orange. Oh, orange colour. Yeah, it might have been... uh, (laughs) Yes. Very scientific. It was orange. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, that is one thing about the sea slugs, um, that very, very few of them have have common names. Uh, Caroline, you've got a thought on that, the common names? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, even just talking about how cute they were, about uh, three years ago, in about 2015, there was some story that came out about how uh, cute and adorable some of the Japanese scuba divers were finding this one particular sea slug that you can find in between the Philippines and Japan. So... It was like all over the internet, you know, obviously bored panda isn't exactly, you know, the, the age as far as their, uh, what they're offering as far as the news and reality. But I did uh, search through and I find the, found the kind of the base article and it. it's very interesting because, like, you know, they're showing up all over Instagram and Twitter. It's just really interesting how something like that, which is really a very particular species that's unheard of usually spread through the internet just kind of like this marine census will do but i guess it had a very long spread out name um in japanese so it just became gomachan and it's little sea bunny instead of a sea slug <laughs> so maybe once we get all these pictures together we can give them little cute names <laughs> that'd be good i think that's a very uh good way of looking at it don't know what robert byrne thinks about it but we'll uh, we'll have to find out one of these days if you're listening robert i'd be very keen to get you to uh um deliver some of your wisdom on uh out of the blue uh one of the one one fine day and also the jawbone marine sanctuary care group at a meeting last wednesday night actually uh, expressed the same sentiments i'd love to hear from you as well and i'll uh, just elaborate on a few of those points uh, some of robert's public speaking skills a uh, a little bit later on in the program um as we were saying the the difficulty with sea slugs as it stands is there's hardly any common names amongst them or they might be used to describe a certain species group um a good example of one of the ones that we've uh, seen the common orange one that caroline was talking about was what's called serratostoma brevicordatum so it's a bit of a uh, it's it's a bit to get your head around these scientific names that are largely derived from uh, from Latin. Um, and uh, this particular one is about 100 to 120 millimetres in length. It's basically orange coloured, as Caroline was saying, but it's got this gorgeous system of spots and uh, various um, colouring patterns on it, and it just looks absolutely amazing. And it's one of my favourite uh, one of my favourite uh, photographs. Um, that's uh, that one you'll find, Caroline, is um, on page 120 of that marvellous book that uh, Robert Byrne has put out, which is called for our uh, for our our uh, listeners, nudibranchs and related mollusks. It's a Museum Victoria field guide, and uh, Robert put that one together, and it absolutely features some uh, some really gorgeous uh, descriptions of all these uh, all these uh, particular nudibranchs. And there's the one we were talking about. I'm just uh, thumbing through the book as we speak. That one captured at St Leonard's, the uh, lower photo there on uh, Serratostoma. Now, Andrew, before we get too far along with the rest of the scientific names, why don't we wind back a little bit and let some of our viewers 
know who aren't as familiar, why are you calling sea slugs nudibranchs? Yes, well, uh, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. With a lot of the terminologies for these things, I, uh, I I'm sort of not across it myself much at all. I don't have a a, you know, a, a deep knowledge of the nudibranchs and sea slugs and all that sort of thing myself. There are some really technical um, definitions there about how to distinguish between them, which I'm not uh, I'm not really privy to, to be honest. Um, I know a few of these things because I've photographed uh, some of them. I've seen some in the wild. Um, a good example in my uh, my old day. My, my old stomping ground down in Warrnambool. Um, one of the ones we used to see a lot of was a thing called Onkidala pataloides, and that was a, a, a very common sea slug that you'd often see that would he'd be one of these intertidal ones, and it was about 20 millimetres long, a nice black-coloured uh, sea slug with all these little uh, white spots on it. And it was one of the, being intertidal, of course, it means it's subject to the tidal range. So sometimes it was uh, under the surface of the water, fully submerged. Other times it was, um, it was uh, completely, um, you know, out of the water. Uh, the, the, the tide would drop away and leave them totally exposed. So they would, uh, they would be um, totally out. Not a, not a true nudibranch, though. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's one of the things to remember. The word itself, nudibranch, um, comes from uh, basically uh, the idea being that the gills are exposed. You've got these almost naked gills, I guess, is the uh, is the um, terminology. Um, so those gills you see are very, very prominent structures on the nudibranchs. They can retract them to an extent, but quite often they're uh, when they're when they're undisturbed, you see that frilly um, uh, nature of of the gills sitting out there. Very, very delicate sort of uh, very delicate sort of tissue. Anyway, we might um, we might go to a, uh, a song now. Here's Midnight Oil, and the song is one that's probably not all that well known. And this particular one is Surfs Up Tonight. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay, you are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. Uh, just before that community service announcement, that was Midnight Oil with Surfs Up Tonight. Okay, uh, kicking on with the idea of the sea slug census and what we're looking for, one thing I should point out is that for a lot of these events, Great Victorian Fish Count and all those sorts of things, you really want some nice visibility in the water. You want those nice conditions um, to, to be present so that you can really enjoy it and get quite a bit of uh, work done. I think for the sea slug census, the interesting thing will be if the, water, if the weather is a bit crummy and the water visibility is not great, it probably won't hurt us as much because we can get down nice and low to the substrate, just look at what What's directly in front of you, and then really scan the substrate for uh, for the for the nudibranchs, because remembering that a lot of them might be uh, relatively very small. <laughs> 
Yeah, it really will force you to kind of like get down there and really look at stuff versus just kind of skimming along the top. Yeah, that's that's it. And then it's not just the, the large stuff that you're looking at that uh, Rob was lamenting we might uh, only see. And as far as Robert Byrne goes, um, with the Field Naturalist Club of Victoria Biodiversity Symposium from 2017, and uh, this was an event that I was uh, fortunate enough to go to back on the 19th of August 2017, um, it was based on marine biodiversity in the 20, in the 21st century. And Robert, as far as I'm concerned, gave the best presentation of the, uh, of the entire weekend. Uh, it ran on Saturday and Sunday and uh, it was just a polished, fantastic presentation. It was called Sap Sucking, Sle- uh, Sap Sucking Sea Slugs uh, was the name of the presentation. It was just an absolute uh, delight to be there for. But Robert's story is one that's very interesting and I'm very keen to get him on the air one of these days. But I just thought I'd read uh, verbatim from his uh, from his book because uh, the actual guy himself is very interesting and his pathway to where he is today is, is absolutely fascinating. And this is from page 247 of his book um, as I mentioned before, Nudibranchs and Related Mollusks, the the Museum Victoria Field Guide about the author. Okay, Robert Byrne is an internationally respected authority on the marine group to which Nudibranchs and Related Mollusks belong. Imbued with a love of these animals since childhood, he has over 60 years of experience collecting, observing and studying Nudibranchs in the field and under the microscope. Robert's expertise is acknowledged through through his honorary status with the Marine Biology Section of Museum Victoria, the Malacological Society of Australasia, in other words, the one that deals with mollusks and associated critters, and the Field Naturalist Club of Victoria. He has been an honorary associate, uh, associate with Museum Victoria since 1962 and has been a member of the Malacological Society since early in 1952, the year of its foundation. Alongside his day job as a third generation building contractor in Geelong, Victoria, Robert has authored more than 100 publications on nudibranchs and other mollusks, including sections for Coastal Invertebrates of Victoria, an atlas of selected species, which came out in 1984, Marine Invertebrates of Southern Australia uh, back in 1989, and Fauna of Australia Mollusca, the Southern Synthesis, which was put together in 1998. He's described more than 90 species of nudibranchs and related mollusks, the vast majority from the coastline of Victoria. Many more species are known and await description. The key part of all that, uh, apart from that that glittering CV, is uh, that that amazing line alongside his day job as a third generation building contractor. He has a record that is uh, absolutely on par with some of the very best scientists we have in the state of Victoria and he basically did all this as a hobby um, which I find just absolutely incredible. Um, What an an amazing uh, pathway. Very Rare and unique one, I guess you could say. Oh, it's amazing what you can do when passion drives you. That's exactly right. That's that that love from childhood is something that's uh, spurred him on to discover all these uh, amazing uh, animals and, and really uh, devote a good chunk of his life to it, which is uh, spectacular stuff. Okay, um, just as we start to uh, look at closing up the show in the last couple of minutes, Caroline, uh, can you tell us some of your uh, some of your experiences with nudie branks and what your thoughts on them? Uh, sorry, um, uh, some of your experiences. I guess most of them. At Point Cook and Jawbone Marine Sanctuaries? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if I've actually ever seen a sea slug at Jawbone. That, of course, doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means I wasn't looking. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, just on that point, uh, I think it was Jawbone that I took that Serratostoma one that's hanging in the the front entry of our house um, in Point Cook. Uh, There's a a photograph that I took of a a Serratostoma.
Roma, um, and it was uh, getting to a like a big crevice, like a big uh, crack in a rock, and it's sort of sitting there looking at this channel in front of it and wondering what to do next. And I sort of felt I could really relate to that uh, that sea slug. <laughs> it's got this uh, almost look of bemusement, thinking, right, what's my next move? What the hell do I do now? I uh, feel like that a bit. We'll have to post that on the Marine Care Point Cook guide. Facebook page later for everybody to see. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I must check out the, I've been very slack on the out of the blue uh, Facebook page too, just so the, uh, the the listeners get an idea of what I'm uh, what I'm talking about. What I think what's different about that photo versus my experiences uh, that have been is, you know, whereas you've gotten that photo where the sea slug or nudibranch is sitting on uh, a rock or something else more firm, I feel like most of the times that I've seen a nudibranch, it's been on some kind of algae. So a piece of kelp, a um, little bit of the the green not a scientist here anyways the green stuff <laughs> yeah yeah like alva the sea yes, lettuce alva, that's yes, it thank yeah. you sea lettuce there we go um so when you think about that and the fact that they're such a small creature as well it can be hard to photograph them not so much because they're obviously not moving that fast they're not gonna get <laughs> away from you but it's you know when you duck dive down and you're you know setting up for your shot it's so easy like so little of your movement creates um, undulations in the water that really cause them to move or the algae around them to move and obscure them. So when you are going down to, you know, do your duck dive and you found this species and you're like, oh, I'm going to get a photo and send it into the sea census or sea slug census, you really want to move calmly and slowly. And it might be about kind of figuring out where it is and looking at the terrain, going back up for another breath and then coming back down and latching onto something that is firmer so you can kind of hold on and stay there for a moment for everything to calm down for the grit to settle a little bit and you know to get quite a few shots actually in a row where you know the sea lettuce or the olver is going to move a little bit but it'll sway in and out so hopefully if you say maybe take 10 shots you'll get one where you'll have a clear view line. Good advice. It's, uh, they are quite challenging little beasts to uh, to photograph. There's no question of that. I think in some ways they're better suited to scuba diving uh, for that reason. But, uh, yeah, patience is an absolute virtue with, uh, with, with photographing uh, sea slugs. I think the other thing can be, you know, mostly – I mean, I know that I do. I use the autofocus when I'm underwater because there's enough going on without trying to, you know, do that. So if you are using your autofocus and you keep finding that every time you're taking the shot, you're not getting the sea slug in focus and instead maybe what it's sitting on or what's directly behind it, use your autofocus um, finder to focus on something that's a little bit bigger in the same range of distance and then take the shot looking at the sea slug and that will help make sure that it's in range correctly fantastic well thanks very much for coming into the studio today caroline my pleasure we're uh, all done here on out of the blues please stay tuned for sally next with out of the pan and enjoy your easter You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.